Our campaign is called The Irresistible Gospel. We've been, this is my last sermon in The Irresistible Gospel. Next week we'll have a guest speaker. The following week we'll have a guest speaker as well. We've been in this campaign for a while, and I hope it's been fruitful for your life with Christ. The idea of this campaign is that the gospel story, and when I say story, sometimes we get the sense that it's like a fictional story. Like, no, I mean like your story, <laughs> like the events of your past and your history. When we talk about it like that, this is true. This is like God's work in history in the gospel and why this story is so irresistible. We should all, whether you're a Christian or not, want this story to be true because it's just so, so good. So the answers that it gives to life's biggest questions are not only true and that they appeal to reality, but they're compelling. They're desirable. These are answers that we should want to be true and that we should desire them to be true. The gospel is truly irresistible. We've been talking about it through the lens of a philosophical lens a little bit about origin, meaning, morality, destiny, and how the gospel satisfies and answers all of those big questions that we have. Last week, we talked destiny. Today, we're talking about another irresistible piece of the gospel, and that is freedom, <laughs> the freedom that we have in Christ. The problem is that we often misread or read our ideas of freedom into the biblical idea of freedom. Okay, so we're going to unpack that as we go today. But I think, I always think of like maturing and the adolescence through young adulthood. I think of that phase of life, looking back on it, as just like slowly acquiring more and more freedom, right? I remember when I first got my driver's license, I was like one of the youngest in my class to get my driver's license. I was like, sweet, I can drive to school. Then I realized all my friends are like, hey, can you come pick me up? Uh, one friend was like, hey, John, I need to drive like 30 minutes away. Can you take me? And I'm like, oh, gosh. And I was just like pulled in all these different directions, right? Driving people everywhere. And I probably should have just said no more, right? But I didn't because I was like, yeah, let's hang, whatever, let's go. So with that freedom came more responsibility, right? And then when I went to college, I was like, yes, I'm free. I'm out from under my parents' roof, free to do whatever I want. Um, and then my car broke down. <laughs> I'm like, this freedom is great. Dad, help, right? I'm like, start to miss the structure, the boundaries, the restrictions that came of living in my parents' household. And then even after being in college, living in the dorms for a while, I moved out on my own. And then I started to, started to think, realize, like, now I have to, like, cook for myself. <laughs> I can't just, like, go to the cafeteria and eat as much food as I want, which was wonderful the first couple of years of college. Then I moved out on my own. I'm like, now I got to learn how to cook food and I have to like buy the food, which is expensive. And I'm a college student. I don't have any money. So I'm buying all this food and I'm buying cheap food because I hate cooking. I'm buying food that I can just like throw in the oven and it's done in 20 minutes and I have to, don't have to do anything to it. So very unhealthy food uh, because I hate cooking. I just can't stand it. And that is still true today. So cooks, I love you. Power to you. Not my jam. Man, we even got those like HelloFresh meals that like they send everything prepackaged to you and they're really like, they're good quality stuff. And it said on the box or on the instructions, like this will take you 45 minutes in total. An hour and a half later, I'm still like cutting onions. I'm not even like halfway done. Or these like green onions. I'm like, I don't even know what these do. Why am I making this? What is going on? My wife would laugh at me because she'd have it done in 45 minutes because she, when she cuts things, she's like... Like, 
the chef thing, I'm like slowly, whoosh, whoosh. she's like correcting my form with the knife and everything. I'm like, ugh, hate cooking. Okay, so I missed the freedom. I was, I had all that freedom, but I kind of missed the structures of like a home-cooked meal <laughs> with my mom and sitting around the table with my family. So we experience this all the time, this concept of gaining more freedom, but then also like, is that freedom really good for me? And what are the boundaries that I should find for myself? Okay. Scripture is full of references, especially in the New Testament, to freedom and the freedom that we have in Christ. Jesus says in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We'll come back to that passage in a little bit. 1 Peter 2, 16, Peter says, live as people who are free. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So as I said earlier, the problem with these passages and when we read these is we infuse our concept of freedom into the text. And then we think whatever we think of freedom is what the text is talking about in regards to freedom. And so here's some alternatives to freedom in the Gospels, the freedom that the Gospels are talking about and this deeper freedom that we have in Christ. One is sociopolitical freedom. Okay, that's not what they're talking about. <laughs> that's not what Jesus is talking about in John 8. And we'll see in just a minute that his audience, that's, this is what they're thinking, and they can't get their mind off of it. And they totally miss Jesus. And they totally miss the gospel because they can't get their mind off of their sociopolitical, physical freedom. Okay, freedom from slavery, bondage, oppression is an unequivocal good. Okay, <laughs> don't hear me saying, uh, don't misquote me saying this. This is good. It's necessary for human flourishing. History is full of these stories of liberation and freedom, and we, right, we rightly celebrate it, often along with uh, grieving how long it took us to reach it, <laughs> right? So these are good. These are necessary. They're good. And we need sociopolitical freedom in order to thrive. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about. This isn't what the gospel writers are, are talking about or what the apostles are talking about. And so we can't read that into what they're saying. We can use it as an illustration to help kind of frame the idea, but that's not what they're saying, and that's not what they're talking about. What Jesus offers is a much better freedom than this, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the other idea of freedom is this freedom from all restraints. It's taking this idea of sociopolitical freedom and just like putting it on steroids and uh, making it mean, like taking the good idea of freedom and saying, oh, maybe I can be free from all restraints, even the restraints that are good for me. Right. Hyper-realized freedom, it leads us to view uh, freedom from all boundaries, obligations, laws as a profound good in and of itself. We pursue freedom without the confines of definitions of good and justice. Okay, does that make sense? So our definitions of what is good restricts our freedom of what we are to pursue, right? Our definition of justice restricts our freedom of what we should be pursuing. We aren't free to define good and just for ourselves, is the idea. So the underlying belief in our culture is that humans are at their core good, contrary to the gospel message of uh, our sinful nature, us being born into sin. 
that humans are good and the shackles then of law, power structures, any trauma from our past, especially those structures of institutions like the church and government and ideas of truth and morality, they need to be done away with so that we can experience more freedom and then unleash our true inner selves to be truly free. Okay, we see this language all over in advertising, in media, in popular movies, songs today. We hear it everywhere. And it often just flies under the radar because we're like, freedom, good. Okay, but the freedom that they're promoting is a hyper-realized freedom that isn't actually good for us. Any restraints then are bad. We need to release our true selves, and the only way to do that is to be free from all restraints. Frozen is actually a really good cultural critique on this. If you've seen this movie, like, it's actually profound. It's quite profound. So Elsa, in the beginning, she tries, like, legalism and, like, religion. <laughs> She's, like, super straight-laced, right? And, like, <laughs> all put together. And that doesn't work. So then she hightails it out of town. She's totally free to use her power however she wants to build whatever. thing. She sings that dramatic song, right? One of the big lines is, I'm free. Yes, Coop! You sing it. You sing it for me, man, because I'm going to... I can't sing. I'll embarrass myself. Appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> but that's the idea. She's free. She's totally free, but she's alone. <laughs> so yes, you can have freedom from all restraints. You will be alone. You'll be completely isolated and alone because... By nature of us even being together in a relationship, there's like a social contract that we innately share together that limits our freedom. So if you are to be in a relationship, it's going to limit your freedom. And she comes to realize that, and then at the end, she finds out, like, like the answer is love, right? Like, instead of just trying to like restrict in legalism, restrict my powers, I'm going to love. And out of love, she's able to control her powers. Whatever. It's a silly story, but it's a good cultural critique of how we in our current state, are so bloated on freedom in our culture that we're lonely and isolated, but free, more free than we've ever been. And so we pursue these freedom from all restraints at all costs. Now, what I'm mostly concerned about, I'm not as concerned about the cultural idea of this, I'm more concerned about how this has bled into the church and our concept of freedom. Does this pursuit of freedom from laws and regulations that we desire sociopolitically or freedom from all restraints, does that include God's laws, God's regulations, his moral imperatives, as we talked about before? What happens when our self-expression is a violation of Jesus' commands? Can we, who serve no political sovereign, really serve King Jesus as Lord? So my concern is when these ideas filter into our faith. And it's worth unpacking. We need to process this as American Christians. In his book, After Doubt, A.J. Swoboda, he recounts the story of a British evangelist named John Guest who came to the U.S. in the 1960s. Uh, remember, British evangelist comes to preach a number of sermons in the 1960s. And outside of Philadelphia, he comes across a sign in a shop commemorating the revolution that says, we serve no sovereign here. And his immediate thought as he's there to preach the gospel to Americans is, how can I possibly preach the kingdom of God to people who have a profound version, aversion to sovereignty? Think about that. When we say Jesus is Lord, if we serve no sovereign, how can we say Jesus is Lord? 
And so we have to be aware of when this cultural idea of sociopolitical freedom and freedom from all restraints filters into our Christian faith. And we have to make sure that those categories are clear. Okay? The other, the other alternative to freedom in the gospel is simply bondage. You can either be free in Christ or in bondage to sin. Those are your two options as humans. That's all you got. If you're not in Christ, you are a slave to your sin. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true. From, I want to keep this PG. Okay. Um, <laughs> we, we know this to be true from certain sins that I think you can track with me on. All right. Um, that the idea of marriage, it restricts our freedom to our freedom of partners, right? It does. It restricts it to one. <laughs> we even call our spouse the old ball and chain, <laughs> right? I, again, culturally, these ideas have, they're, they're communicating something about how we view marriage. It's restricting our freedom, and it does. And in certain spheres, consent is the only restriction on freedom, which, again, it merely just pushes the boundary back a little bit, but it's still a boundary. But we claim, like, oh, no, we're more free or free, free from all restraints. And it may seem as if one is more free to do that. But we've seen enough stories of those who live like this, in that freedom of self-expression in that way, to know that that actually leads to more bondage. It leads to porn addictions. It leads to other addictions. So whether it's the pursuit of pleasure or affirmation or some skewed idea of success on some skewed scorecard, that it just leads to more bondage. And it's not freeing. Whereas in the confines of marriage, we're actually free. We're much more free. But it doesn't seem like the, that way. And it's because what Jesus is saying here is that when you live a life of sin, you become enslaved to your sin. So Jesus says in John 8, 31. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> This is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It just, this conversation gets so heated. Um, <laughs> it's wild. But in the culture of Jesus' day, uh, first century Israel, they possessed this culturally informed view of freedom that was contrary to the kingdom gospel. Jesus, he has this conversation with the Pharisees before and now with the Jews who believed in him. And he's trying to point out this blind spot to them in John 8 here. And they just can't reframe it. They're so stuck in sociopolitical freedom and in their concept of freedom as being free, the Messiah being the one who brings them freedom from all political oppression. They cannot see Jesus as the true Messiah for who he is. In this conversation, it gets rather ugly. They accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan and having a demon. Jesus tells them that their father is not, in fact, Abraham, but Satan. 
Uh, and then they try to stone him after Jesus claims to be God. All right, it gets, it gets wild. Jesus tells them before Abraham was, I am. Like, there are folks out there who say Jesus never claimed to be God. What else is he saying there, <laughs> right? And that's why they tried to stone him, is because he's claiming to be God. He's using the personal name of God and claiming that for himself. <clears throat> and so they think that that is worth stoning. Okay, anyways, let's move on. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Okay, so notice, this immediately contrasts with the idea of number two, the number two alternative, that it's free from all restraints. Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, okay, so if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, that's the idea. So if you give up your right to say, like, I think I know better, or my idea of truth is better than Jesus, which is a restriction on your freedom, right? My way of living is not as good as Jesus, so I'm going to submit to his teaching, what he says is true, and the way that he says to live. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then, and only then, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is freedom in holding to the teaching of Jesus and living out his way. These are the words of Jesus. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. Okay, see, they cannot get out of this framework of socio-political freedom. And we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Okay, we can even argue with their statement here. Like, we've never been slaves of anyone. Yeah, you're, you're parsing words, right? Like, you're currently under Roman occupation. Uh, you guys were taken over by the Assyrians, um, the northern kingdom was, the southern kingdom was taken over by the Babylonians, like, okay, you've been taken away, like, as slaves, like, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right, like, really? What are you talking about? Like, even that is not true, but, uh, and to make their point, they're trying to, they're missing the truth, and they're trying to inflate their case, right, which we do all the time. But they're thinking about it from the whole wrong category. How can you say that we shall be Set free. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is what Jesus is talking about. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So he's saying, like, all of us have sinned, and so we are slaves to sin. He's talking in a totally different category. Then he goes on, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. He's talking about the deeper enslavement to sin in the human condition, our original sin that we're all born with. It's not that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about sociopolitical freedom and justice and that those who have been transformed by Christ should pursue justice. It certainly says that. We'll talk about that next week. And it's not, it's not, Jesus is talking about something totally different here, okay? He's dealing with our bondage, the bondage of our will to sin. And so... I love it. D.A. Carson has a quote on this, that, on this passage that I put in the devotional this week. But at the end of it, he says, even Caesar was a slave. Caesar is the most powerful ruler, which is oftentimes why we want power, right? So that we can be more free to do whatever we want. Even the most powerful ruler in the world <laughs> in Jesus' day was a slave to sin, according to Jesus, because he had sinned. And so, Christians, 
So often we think of our faith as being a restriction of our freedom. It's like, now that I'm in Jesus, now I have to like follow these rules. Don't think of it like that. Okay. In Jesus, you're actually more free than you were before because before you were a slave to sin, according to Jesus' framework here. And so in Christ, you are set free. You are redeemed. That's what redemption means, that you've been bought from slavery and set free. And we'll see what we're set free to in just a little bit here. But you're more free in Christ. (laughs) Don't feel as if the moral obligations of following Christ are a restriction on your freedom. They're good for you. And we've been liberated from our sin. Why? So that we can belong to the family of God. (laughs) Look at what Jesus says here. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. What Jesus is getting at here is when he sets us free, he adopts us into his family. This is language of redemption from the Old Testament. And so we enter into a covenant relationship with him. And we're a part of his family. Forever, Jesus says. This can never be taken from you. And then Jesus says the famous words that, again, we have to keep in the context of what he's actually saying here. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. (laughs) Christian, we can rejoice in this. If you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you're free in Jesus. You don't have to live in guilt and shame anymore. This sin has been removed from you. It is gone. That weight, that burden of sin and the shame that comes with it is gone. So you're free. That's the freedom Jesus is talking about. And it's a glorious freedom. This is a better freedom. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. He's like, guys, I get it. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. He's not talking about sociopolitical freedom as the people of Israel. No, he's he's talking about those who are in Christ and a part of the family of God. Paul will later say, not all Israel is Israel. And what he means is not all of the descendants of Abraham are part of the people of God. Because not all the descendants of Abraham have their faith in Jesus for salvation. Faith in Jesus is the only way to be a part of the people of God, regardless of your nationality. And that's the hope of the gospel. And it's a beautiful truth. He says, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Accepting the word of Jesus. As Jesus has said prior, obeying his teaching, believing in him, trusting in him, accepting his word, That is the only way to be brought into the people of God and to truly be free. That is when the Son sets us free. So, in the gospel, we are free from our sin. In the context here of John 8, Jesus is just talking about being free from our sin. In Galatians, the Galatians passage that I referenced earlier is talking about being set free from the law. So I included that as well. This is the gospel concept of freedom, and this is why it's irresistible. We are free from our sin when our faith and trust is in Jesus and we are saved. Our sin has been removed from us and we are free. We are free from the curse of the law of trying to be made righteous by doing good deeds. By this false even concept that our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds and somehow we'll be made right with God then or somehow through uh, an experience we'll have the... Anyways, I'll get into it later. I'm just going to go with it now. Okay, so this is where the Catholic teaching on meritorious salvation distorts the gospel message at best. It confuses it, it muddies it, right? Of whether you, 
whether it is that you need to somehow work off your, or your sins and be made more righteous in purgatory, um, or that you can pray now and the deeds of the, the merits of the saints can be imputed to you because they had extras that they didn't need to get in so they can be passed on to you. It so muddies the gospel of grace. I listened uh, earlier this week to Mark Dever talking about this just on a quick uh, social media thing. But he said, like, this is why the Reformation took off in the 16th century. It's because people had been told by the church for their entire life that you can't know if you're good with God. That you can't know until the end whether your deeds will be enough to be right with God. And even at that day, the Catholic Church was, was <laughs> the, the famous phrase that kind of set Luther off the edge was, um, when a coin in the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory springs. Right? So hey, you can buy your dead relative's salvation by giving to the church. Luther lost it when he heard, when he heard that. Because it was manipulative. They were manipulating people to experience the freedom that they have freely in Jesus and in the gospel. And that's where that theology gets so muddy. You can't be free if you can't know that you're right with God. If you're still living under law. That's just a new law. In Galatians, they're talking about the law from the Old Testament, the Mosaic law. But churches, certain religious structures, we try to add more laws instead of just resting in the freedom that Christ has given us. Right? That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you can be free in Jesus and you can know that you're free in him because your sin has been removed from you. Band, you guys can come and get set up. The Exodus is actually a great example of this. So I said we can use like sociopolitical freedom as an example to illustrate the spiritual reality. Okay, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. So don't get the two confused. In the Exodus, Israel, they're redeemed by Yahweh from slavery in Egypt, right? They're people who are enslaved. But <laughs> they're not then set free to go do whatever they want. Like, hey, we're free to be self-determined now. Nope, that doesn't happen. They reach Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, they enter into a covenant relationship with God. They are set free by Yahweh. They are redeemed to enter into covenant relationship then with him. And it would be really silly of them to have witnessed the ten plagues, God bringing Egypt to its knees and humbling Pharaoh to set a group of slaves free. And not just like set them free, but they plundered Egypt on their way out and they didn't even raise an army. <laughs> It'd be really silly to be like, hey, we're free to be self-determined when God just did all of that for them. <laughs> right? He delivered them so that they could enter into covenant relationship with him. And that's a physical picture of the spiritual reality of the people of God. We are delivered from our sin to enter into covenant relationship with God. And in doing so, we're truly set free. <laughs> to live within our identity and our purpose and in light of our destiny in Christ. That is the deeper freedom. That's a true freedom that we should celebrate and rejoice. Lord, thank you for the freedom that you give us, Jesus. That when our faith and trust is in you, when we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, we are free. We are free from our sin. We are free from the law. And this guilt and shame of trying to be made right with you on our own, no, we're free. We're free to live for you, Christ. 
to experience your presence, to live in you, and to rejoice in you. So Lord, give us a sense of that freedom. Clarify, Spirit, clarify this in our minds, the true freedom that we have in you, and help us to see the irresistible nature of it, that you have done something so glorious, so awesome, that it is worth rejoicing in. And we praise you, we worship you for what you have done. The big idea is in the gospel, we are free from our sin. Uh, I realize I took out the law from our first one. Because <laughs> John 8, Jesus is talking about sin. Galatians, Paul's talking about freedom from the law. Therefore, we are free to give ourselves in service to God and others. We are free from our sin, and therefore we are free to enter into covenant relationship with God together. That is the freedom of the gospel, and it is the freedom that we need. It is the freedom that appeals to our nature, because again, we are created by God and for God. We are not free to be fully self-determined. Jesus sets us free in the gospel so that we can be in covenant with God. Now, it's reminded me of an ancient argument uh, between Augustine and Pelagius, uh, the 4th and 5th century. I, I meant to just like use it, reference it real quick in the devotional on Monday. Uh, before I knew it, I'd written a whole page. So I was like, well, that's the devotional. So there we go. Um, <laughs> it's kind of what you get in the devotional. Sometimes it's just my thoughts <laughs> playing out. Um, but in this argument, uh, yeah. Augustine, who was one of the predecessors of Reformed theology like a thousand years before the Reformation. I'll go into more details in the devotional. But Augustine is arguing for, you can say Augustine as well, that's okay. I don't know how to pronounce it, but either one's fine. Um, if you're like, who's Augustine? You've always said it like that. I don't care. Um, <laughs> his argument was more on like the determinism side, that God chose you and saved you and redeemed you and he so has set you free. Um, he taught original sin, that people have original sin, that they're not naturally good. And we can't get ourselves out of that mess, so we need God to save us and to redeem us. Pelagius, on the other hand, he taught that humans are not uh, prone to original sin, that we are free to be self-determined. We can actually be good enough to be good, to be righteous enough to be saved and be brought into heaven and to be with God. He thought that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't atoning for our sins, that it was just a good example that we should follow, his example of humility and self-sacrifice. Augustine said, no, no, no. <laughs> it's, the problem is much deeper than that. And Augustine, I think, was right, according to Jesus, and the church sided with him later. But anyways, part of Augustine's argument, where Pelagius sounds like he's the more on the side of freedom, right? Like, hey, we're all free. Augustine uses this brilliant argument, which I think is fascinating. Uh, he said, like, our old self prior to Christ, love of self is always reigning over love of God. He uses love because those are the two primary commands of Jesus, right? Love God, love others. He says, actually, in our sinful nature, love of self, or you could, love of self is what it usually boils down to is pride, but like love of stuff, love of whatever, others, you can pick, fill in anything in the blank. It usually boils down to pride, but love of anything else, idolatry, always trumps love of God. And so what God does in the gospel 
is he like, this is amazing, right? Wow. Look at technological skill on display. Uh, he, what God does in the gospel is he flips them for us. He removes our original sin so that we can then love God and love uh, uh, superior over our love of self. And in that sense, then we're more free. <laughs> because the old self was enslaved to our sin, enslaved to our love of self. But God, in redemption and salvation, reverses the two so that you can then love God genuinely and freely. So actually, Augustine's like, the gospel is more freeing. <laughs> and I want you to see that. That in Christ, we have more freedom. Because prior to that, as Jesus teaches us, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. So Jesus sets us free. So when we are living in our old self, we're enslaved. But Jesus sets us free to enter into covenant relationship with God. So that's what freedom from, freedom to. Now, Tim Keller says this, freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it is finding the right ones, <laughs> those that fit our nature and liberate us. Oh, we're going to miss Tim Keller. This guy, so brilliant and absolutely right. In the context of our cultural value of inflated freedom, that freedom meaning absence of any limitations and constraints, and that's what we should pursue, that's what's good. No, true freedom is in Christ, finding the right ones that fit our nature and liberate us in the process. Because as my story is at the beginning of maturity and growing up, came to realize as hopefully happens sooner than later for most of us adults, right? That absolute freedom is not good for me because it doesn't fit my nature and it actually harms me. Just like a toddler <laughs> could have more freedom in the backyard if his parents aren't watching him or without the back fence, the backyard fence to restrain him or her. He might have more freedom, but it's not good for him not have his parents watching over him. So to find freedom, we have to find the freedom and the right constraints and right limitations that fit our nature and liberate us. But we must first be free from our sin in order to live in those restraints. So in Christ, what we find in the gospel, and this is why the gospel concept of freedom is so beautiful. It's so irresistible how it appeals to reality. It may not be what we think we need, but it is gen genuinely what we need. <laughs> Sometimes ideas pop into my head, and I'm like, that's not a good idea. Okay, so that's my pause. Um, <laughs> this freedom from sin, it allows us to live within our purpose. Because prior to being set free in Christ, we can't love God. We can't know God. We can't live with God. We can't glorify God forever in his presence. As we've said a few weeks ago, is our purpose. So, in the gospel, we are set free to live within our purpose. This freedom, it's rooted in our true identity. It restores us to our status as children of God, in the family of God under the care of the Father who has redeemed us and set us free. We have been taken captive by sin, 
under the curse of sin, death being the ultimate, the ultimate result of that curse. But God redeems us. He sets us free. He gives us eternal life, everlasting life in him. He liberates us from that curse so that we can be brought into the family of God forever, to live with him forever, as is our true identity, as children of God. And towards our ultimate destiny, the freedom that we have in Christ and when we enter into covenant relationship with him, which we are free to do in Christ, that freedom from sin will be fully realized in the new creation. Whereas now we still struggle with sin. We've been set free from our original sin, from the curse of sin, and we've been given everlasting life, but we still struggle with sin. We will still sin. We still struggle with feelings of guilt and shame from our past life apart from Christ. And even the guilt of the sins we commit in our life with Christ, right? In our ultimate destiny, we will be totally free from that. And so we can live towards that now. And we have to trust Christians. I talk with Christians all the time who are still living under the curse of the law, a different kind of law, feeling like I have to be good enough to be right with God, or living under the weight of their sin, from their past sins that have been feeling like a burden on them. That we have to trust that in Christ you have been set free. You have been set free from your guilt, from your shame, from all of the consequences and the effects of your sin. That's what freedom in Christ means. That's why so many Christians, when they come to believe in Christ, they describe it as like a weight off of their shoulders. Like they can breathe again because they're free in Christ. That guilt, that shame has been taken away. And as now we still struggle with it, in the end we will be fully living in the freedom of Christ that he has for us. And that's a beautiful destiny that we can hope in, that we can long for, that we can rejoice in now, as we talked about last week. So what I hope to communicate to you guys today is that one, don't conflate these categories of freedom. (laughs) Scripture talking about is freedom in Christ, freedom from sin, freedom from the law, freedom to covenant, enter into covenant relationship with God that fits our nature and it truly liberates us. Don't conflate the categories of sociopolitical freedom, freedom from all restraints. Any other way of living is a life of bondage and slavery to sin. In this freedom that Christ has for us, even when we're in sociopolitical bondage, we can rejoice. As Paul and Silas do when they're jailed, they can still rejoice and sing praises to God because it's a deeper freedom. It's a better freedom that can't be taken away from you. That's secure for eternity. Sociopolitical freedom is an unequivocal good. It's good, but this is even better. Paul writes Philippians from jail and he emphasizes joy. His freedom has been taken from him and he still has joy. 1 Peter 1.6, we read, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Trials he's talking about is imprisonment, beating, and even martyrdom. James 1.2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? (laughs) Because we have this deeper freedom in Christ, 
so we can have joy regardless of life circumstances. It's a better freedom. Christian, don't trade it. Don't trade it for a false concept of freedom. This is eternal freedom that we can have in covenant relationship with God. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus and really believe it and really trust it when we're tempted to believe in our guilt and shame that it's still hanging over us. If your faith and trust is in Jesus, you have been set free. And if your faith and trust is not in Jesus, you are still enslaved to your sin. Those are your only options. He has made it free, a free gift for you to receive. Believe in Jesus. Trust in him for your salvation. And the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Believe that and rest in that. And that you can know you are part of the family of God then, when you experience the Spirit of God living in you, revealing that to be true. Lord, God, speak through your Spirit to our our weary souls who are so beat up with guilt and shame. Lord, minister to those who are in you, but they're still carrying the weight of their sin. And they release it to you now, Jesus. And find the freedom in you, Christ, of living for you, being found in you, Lord. Our sin is a heavy burden. Jesus, you said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, you are so, so good. And the freedom that we have in you is so amazing. Help us to rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.